friends and welcome to another edition of dan and benny in the ring i'm dan sebastiano joined as always by the bs express himself benny scallop benny how you doing buddy good you know uh for all the talk about my lackluster dating life i have a hot date with elsa tonight and i sure hope she no shows <laughs> i was gonna ask you how the uh how you were faring on the storm but i don't think it got to you yet has it yeah it, it's coming like like uh, hurricane helm said stand back <laughs> there you go well, um, you know, we've been uh, having a lot of fun conversations recently, and something that always comes up with us, Benny, we talk about being the little podcast that could upset in the Giants, and uh, I think perfect, perfect example of upsetting the Giants is the guest we have tonight. So, uh, Benny, why don't you uh, tell everybody who we got on the phone with us this Yes, th- this gentleman is, uh, uh, was a mainstay uh, in, on WWF cards in the early 1980s. Uh, has arguably one of the biggest upsets in the history of wrestling. But uh, when when I looked into his career and did a little bit more research, he's got a, quite a few uh, quality wins that uh, most people don't know about. So hopefully everybody's going to find out tonight. And uh, our guest is Mr. Ron Shaw. Ron, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. And, and listen, thank you for inviting me on your show. And also I want to throw a uh, shout-out to Javier Oist who uh, did a story on me. Uh, I think I think it was like seven biggest upsets in professional wrestling history, and he, he gave me a great opportunity to uh, um, say what I needed to say. And, you know, it's also an honor to be on this show a week after having handsome Jimmy Valiant. I mean, the guy is a legend. I mean, him and Johnny for so many years, and it was a, it was a great story listening to Jimmy tell, you know, how Johnny and uh, Jimmy teamed up together. And, you know, uh, Dan, you're the historian here? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, if you listen to a lot of uh, the Valiant interviews, occasionally you would hear, you know, Jimmy Valiant saying, you know, ooh, sweet and smooth, uh, boarding house pie. Now, do you know what that means, boarding house pie? No, I can't say that I do. Oh, ah, okay. Looks like I stumped the historian. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, you can Google this, and... Uh, Back in the day, uh, Captain Lou Albano was with a group. Uh, probably they probably did a you know one album, and he probably sang the only song that was that was uh, uh, there. Uh, I think it was a group called NBGT, something like that, and he sang a song called Borden House Pie." And, uh, wow! And I think that's where they actually got that Borden House Pie because there's no such thing as a, a real Borden House Pie. <laughs> so. So Lou, Lou Albano actually cut a record. Yes, yes he did. Wow. Yeah. Well, with with the, with a group, with a group now. So you know, you Google that, you'll see the cover album, and you'll see his picture along with about three or four other guys on there. And yeah, and you'll hear the song actually. Oh wow! I'll have to, Very interesting. That'll definitely be something to look up. That's great. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, it's, go ahead. Let me say this too. You know, on your website, it says Dan and Benny. Look forward to wrestling's future while celebrating its storied past. And that is so true. I mean, you know, the, the, the days of professional wrestling, as far as I'm concerned, the way it used to be, is over with. And after Hulk Hogan, it pretty much died to me. <laughs> so, you know, 
I, I love I love listening to your shows about the past and everything. So you know, uh, as I say, last week, man, that was that was just great having Jimmy Valiant on. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a fun time, and I, I like the uh, the shout out you did. Javier has been a friend of the show since the beginning, but um, yeah, it, you know. It's it's funny you talk about uh, past. One of the first anecdotes it, it going through like y- your your website. Uh, you mentioned the, going to the first live event when you were eight years old. First time you watched wrestling. Where where was that? Well, and that was the very first uh, wrestling that I've ever seen. I never watched it on TV before that. That was in New Jersey at the uh, Camden Convention Hall, which is just right across the river from downtown Philadelphia, and uh, my cousin, uh, who was just uh, starting his practice in medicine, was invited to be the doctor that evening. So he had tickets for my father, me, and two of my my uh, favorite uncles, and we all went down there by car, and uh, I was in the front row, and during intermission, uh, my cousin took me down to the dressing room. I didn't exactly go in there, but I was right at the door, where you can see all these, the, the big guys, they're all sitting at the table. They're all playing cards. Crazy Luke Graham, Earl Maynard, Dominic DiNucci. <laughs> he was there, too. Arnold Scullin. Uh Oh, my God. I mean, you know, I didn't know none of them at the time, obviously. But, you know, knowing them years later and who they were, uh, you know, I mean, all legends. You know, Bull Ramos, Earl Maynard, Mr. Universe, uh, you know. The, the names that then Smasher Sloan, Guillotine Gordon, Hans Mortier. So yeah, man, those those guys were big names back then, sure. Absolutely, and you know, to to sidetrack for just a second, we had a show a few weeks back. We did a, a roundtable with Nikita Brezhnikov and, and Evan Ginsberg about debating whether or not they should the WWF or excuse me, um, <clears throat> WWF should have taken the title off of Billy Graham back when they, when they made Backlund champion. Right. And here we were 40 years later, still talking about it. And every name you just dropped. I mean, there's, uh, there's fans y- uh, younger than me that, that have watched all the tapes and love those guys. And you, t- I, I, you talk about wrestling then versus now. I, yeah. I can't think really of many talents I've seen in the last few years that 30, 40 years from now are going to be, tapes people are still watching exactly yeah i mean you know i I, look i I have to say this i I think and maybe you've never heard this before but every professional wrestler is a fan of this business and i am one of them and i'm proud to say it because you know i love going back fortunately on youtube and and picking out a you know a certain uh, match in a certain year back then even when it was the wwf and and watch it you know and and man I, i just you know it, it can't it can't compete with what out, what's out there today, so that's just my feeling. And and you know I'm sure there's a lot of other people who think the same way. Absolutely, Benny. What what are you thinking? Well, uh, I guess uh, I'm going to do my typical uh, Dr. Philip Barbe from back to school when he did the oral exam, the 37 part final. I'm going to I think I'm only going to do three, but um, because there's one of these questions I want to make sure I get in before I forget or we run out of time. So, Ron, you know, based on the names you said, you know, and you specifically said Earl Maynard, I'm, I'm thinking this was what you're you're talking about right around 1968, because that was the first show I ever went to was in 1968 at the Island Garden, the uh, Island Gardens. Yes. 
in West Hempstead, New York. And at that time, the guy, you know, the, the, the stars were Hans Mortier, Edward Carpentier, Bull Ramos, those, those guys, George Steele, Tanaka. So I, I, you just when you said Bo, uh, Earl Maynard, he was one of my favorites. So that would that that would you know kindle up some nostalgia there. So um, yeah. my my three part question is number one, how does it feel to get introduced by Joe McHugh? I actually he, he's my favorite announcer of all time, and I think I the, the one of the the matches I I watched you know when I was researching for the podcast, he did actually interview you for a for a, not interview announced you for a TV taping, and then. Um, when you were growing up, uh, who who were your favorites? I think you had mentioned in an interview that Bruno was one of your favorites or was your favorite. And at what point did you decide to become a professional wrestler? Okay. Uh, first of all, yeah, I mean, I mean, Bruno was the wrestler's wrestler. I mean, he came out, no jacket whatsoever, and, and you know, he just looked like the wrestler. I mean, that, that was his gimmick right there. Um, growing up, uh, you know, as I said, years later down the road, uh, I enjoyed, uh, it was Iron Mike McCord, who actually became, I think, what was it, Austin Idol? Austin Idol. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Mike McCord at the time was uh, was really put together, big guy, long hair down to his, past his shoulder. He, he was a great guy. I liked Bugsy McGraw. I liked the original Sheik. Um, there was, uh, you know, Edouard Carpentier. I, I mentioned Luke Graham. And probably... One of my favorite heels was, you know, Bulldog Brower, and of course the Valiant Brothers. Absolutely, no question about that. You know, so uh, I mean, those, now, Ron, those, were I you were, more were you more of a baby face or a heel fan? I'm sorry, say that again. Were you more of a baby face or a heel fan? <laughs> uh, it seems like I like the heels a lot more. It sounds that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and you know, mentioning Joe McHugh because I want to pass that. Up. When I first started working, and you know, I was coming up to do championship wrestling in Allentown, and I didn't get invited to go to uh, Hamburg for All Star Wrestling until maybe, maybe a couple months later, I guess it was. And Joe McHugh, I remember uh, wrestling Hogan that first time. He announces me from Middletown, New York. Well, I plainly told him it was you know Ron Shaw, two sixty Philadelphia, PA. And then one time later, and I don't know if they were ribbing me or what, but one time they're introducing me, Joe McHugh introduces me as, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Rick Shaw. <laughs> Rick Shaw. Rick Shaw, yeah, you know, one of those uh, Japanese transportation devices. <laughs> and I looked at him, I went back in the dressing room, I said, Joe, I said, you know, uh, it, it's Ron Shaw, I hope we can get this straightened out next time, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that. Uh, yeah, Joe McHugh was a great guy. He always used to come back in the dressing room and do these little vaudeville things with his cigars and everything like that, you know. And, uh, you know, Joe, Joe was a great guy. Great guy. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, wrestling Hulk Hogan. The Benny, we were, we were just talking before we went down the air. The, the first three, back when it was the WWF, the first three televised matches you had were against Hulk Hogan, Pat Patterson and Pedro Morales. I mean, you're talking three of the most respected talents. Well, I should say biggest talents and names at the time. I mean, that's a that baptism by fire, literally sink or swim. What was, uh, you know, kind of walk us through that, that mentality when you start seeing those names come up on your, yeah, on your card I mean, draws. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, you know, and, and, and I, this was championship wrestling. So this is in Allentown and, you know, gorilla monsoon ran the TV. So, you know, when we were all back there, 
uh, you know, Gorilla Monsoon would put the piece of paper up on the wall, first hour, then second hour, third hour, and, you know, I'm seeing Hulk Hogan, and I'll be honest with you, I, I can't say Hulk Hogan was a familiar name to me. He might have done TV at the time, because I think he started out maybe in Atlanta and, 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 and uh, for Vern Gagne and so forth, and they were just bringing him in, like, bringing him in occasionally for TV. So he really wasn't a big name to me, but looking at his presence, the guy was huge. I mean, I mean, you knew this guy was going to be a superstar, you know. And um, as far as Pedro Morales is concerned, well, you know, former world heavyweight champion, uh, one of the greatest, uh, you know, Puerto Rican wrestlers ever, and, and and quite a gentleman, great guy. And Pat Patterson, knowing his history out in California with Ray the Crippler Stevens, and you know, and there and there's a hell of a lot more guys too that I wrestled uh, in those upcoming months before they actually started, you know, booking me and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I was trained by Killer Kowalski, which is one of the biggest names in the business. So, you know, I, I, I understood, you know, who I was working with and, you know, trained by Killer, a big name. Um, it, was, it was a great experience. I have to say that, yes, it was. You know, I, I'm living out my childhood dream, you know, and it's just even talking to you guys, you know, so many years later, you know, doing this at eight years old, uh, watching wrestling and, and saying to my uncles in the car that I'm going to become a professional wrestler when I grow up. You know, now how many kids at eight years old are going to say that and end up doing it? And I have and I have to say I was somewhat successful at what I did. You know. Absolutely. So, Ron, uh, it, uh, you know, I joke around with a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends were wrestling fans, you know, and just even talking to people who are wrestling fans or, or who were wrestling fans, they're, they're going to say, well, yeah, I liked wrestling when I was a kid. And I always say, well, you know, so did I. But I guess I'm still a kid because, you know, 50 something years later, I, I, you know, I just I love it as much now. Now, when I say I love wrestling, I don't love sports entertainment. I, I want to make it very clear. I love wrestling. But um, so once you like the bug bit you at eight at eight years old and you you were hooked. Um, repeat the last half. So so the, the the bug when you when you went to your first show after that like it, there was no turning back right you 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 oh. really truly wanted to be a professional wrestler and, and obviously you followed it through, through the end. Oh God, I I, I you know as, as soon as I was able to lift a weight. I think that's when I started lifting weights and, uh, you know, watching it, I mean, every, every weekend. I mean, you, I mean, if I ever missed one, I don't, I, I can't imagine that ever happened. And I, I knew, I knew, you know, right through high school that I was going to do this. And I had um, built myself up. I was like 240 pounds in, in 10th grade, 11th grade. And actually, and as maybe in my 10th grade or so, I started going down to the Philadelphia arena where they were taping championship wrestling down there. And um, so, I, you know, I always went with a friend and so forth. And, uh, you know, they'd always had the house show there once a month. Um, but that was my, I mean, that just lit up my eyes even more because, you know, eight years old versus um, 15, 16 years old, uh, now I really understood, you know, watching it live, I, I, I knew what it was about. Okay, and and I could sit there and call the high spots, and sure enough, that's what's happening. And it was such a great arena to watch wrestling in. It had this echo throughout it. 
It had the, the bell. It had a great ring announcer, which was Buddy Wagner at the time, and Buddy Wagner who passed on. I think it was in maybe '76, and that's when Gary Michael Capetta got his break. Uh, but it was just amazing sound in that building. And you know, I I do have people. I mean, people can go on the internet and so forth. But I, you know, I've got a match uh, which is on my website. Uh, Kowalski and Bobby Duncan against uh, Victor Rivera and Chief J. Strong. But when you just watch those people, I mean, those people, they they believed in what was going on. <laughs> you know, I mean, the people are jumping up, running to the running to the uh, ring and so forth. And that's the environment. That's that that was that 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 special sound that was really. You know, I said, man, if I could do that and get these people to to yell and, and or boo or whatever, I said, man, I said, I said, you know, my 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 blood was just just boiling. I just couldn't wait to get out of high school, you know. And, you know, every time I would go to the Philadelphia Arena, and even I think in my senior year, I was going with a friend of mine from high school all, you know, all the time. And uh, I said, you know something? I said, I got to go over and talk to Phil Zacco, because Phil Zacco would be over in the box office there counting the receipts and so forth. And I said, I want to ask him about a wrestling school. So, and this is a funny, funny story, because I think you had last week, uh, was it Angelo Ciprio or something like that? Ciprio. Yeah. And uh, didn't he say that Phil Zacco was his uncle? Yes, sir. A relation, sure. And, uh, and, you know, so I went into the box office during uh, maybe after the first hour of taping or second hour, and, and I was being very respectful. And I said, Mr. Zacco, I said, I'm very interested in becoming a professional wrestler. And, you know, he looked up at me, seen, seen my size and everything, and he says, okay, he goes, there's a school in Reading. Now, I didn't know if he meant Reading, Pennsylvania. I guess maybe at the time I did, because in Reading, Massachusetts, was where I went to train with Killer Kowalski. And as he's writing down the name and the number, uh, I said, well, you know, Mr. Zacco, I know there's a lot of, uh, entertainment and uh, you know this this type of stuff involved in pro wrestling. And he looked up at me. He says, "What the hell are you talking about? These guys are getting hurt night after night." He goes, "Get out of here!" <laughs> he threw me the hell out of the box office. <laughs> I opened up my mouth, and uh, you know, I guess I was trying to let him know I knew what what the business was a lot was about, but you know. To an outsider, they're not going to give any any uh, information away. And uh, I said, well, okay, let's chalk that up to experience, you know. And uh, but the Philadelphia Arena, and this brings back a lot of memories to me. That's that's really where I know I decided that that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, at the time, in we talked earlier about the uh, uh, the TV tapings that you were on with when you talked about working with like Hogan and Morales and Pat Patterson and all. Uh, when you first started, I don't want to say breaking in, but when you first really started getting the ball rolling on your career, did you have anybody you worked with at the time that you, that you said, okay, I'm, I'm learning from this guy. It's somebody you hope to work with again. You know, somebody that kind of, I don't want to say smartened you up, but, but for lack of a better term, smartened you up to what was going on. Um, well, uh, I'm trying to figure out maybe what you mean by smartened up. Uh, well, so you know, so somebody you, you kind of learned learned the ropes with as you were working through? Um, well, you know, first of all, you know, when you're doing TV, um, it's, it's 
it's not really the best thing in the world. Uh, I mean, one one advantage was was being a heel uh, because you know you were always able to make your comebacks and, and and you know get heat and so forth. Whereas a baby face, because you know I had to do that a few times. They didn't know exactly where you know how to use me and so forth. Is is the worst thing that can happen because the baby faces are just getting beat up constantly. And uh, you know when I was working with like guys like uh, Quick Joel, Rick McGraw, Garia um, Martel earlier, um, you know they they were helping me along because they they saw that I had the potential to do this. You know, um, I I I you know it, it's a learning process every night that you step into the ring and so forth. And and uh, everybody everybody helped me along the way. I I can't say anything bad about anybody. In all those years that I was uh, I was a wrestler, you know. Okay, well, um, a, a name we were kind of hoping he was the guest. The first episode of the, of our podcast was Dominic Danucci, uh, as a friend of the show and uh, uh, somebody Benny's been trying to uh, coax out of retirement for a few months now. Do you have any <laughs> uh, just just out of personal uh, humor for us here? Do you have any good stories with about Dominic? Dominic Denose Danucci. Let me let me tell you something. This guy's got one puppy hanging between his eyes. When he blows his nose in Pittsburgh, you hear it in Philadelphia. And let me tell you something, Benny. If he if he ever went swimming in the Gulf of Mexico on his back, everybody would be yelling shark, shark. Okay? That guy's got one hell of a schnauzer on him. But let me tell you, I love Dominic Danucci. You know, we were we were good friends and so forth. Dominic actually got me on my first overseas trip to the Philippines, my very first one. And uh, we had a lot of uh, um, 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 talking matches and so forth when we were doing 1982 and 1983 international wrestling. Um, That was something that Bruno was behind. And, um, but Dominic, yeah, I, I heard, I heard that interview. I'm glad Dominic's doing well, and I know he, he's sad he misses his, his great friend, Bruno San Martino, like we all do. Yes. Okay, Ron, speaking of, uh, well, speaking of Dominic, in uh, ni- early 1981, you got a, I guess it was a non-title match against Pedro for the IC uh, Championship, and you wound up in a tag team with Dominic against the Moondogs. I don't believe it was a championship match. But, you know, here you are, not even a year in the WWF, and you're getting some some uh, pretty high-level matches. So uh, maybe you can talk about that. Um, yeah, I, you know, that, that did start in 1981 because, you know, as I say, you know, they were using me as the – I became the executioner in January 1981, and I was also getting booked as Ron Shaw. I uh, did a couple uh, – two or three TV matches as the executioner and uh, teaming up with Dominic, you know, against the Moondogs. Now the Moondogs were one hell of a rough house tag team back in their day. And I, and I can remember getting beaten up a few times uh, by those guys. Um, but, uh, you know, Dominic, I worked with Dominic many times. I worked against him many times. Uh, one, one match, matter of fact, comes to mind was me and uh, Chris Canyon, who we all know is uh, – King Kong Bundy. Uh, we were doing a TV in, uh, well, let me see, I can remember, it was All-Star Wrestling in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. It was me and Chris against Danucci 
and S.D. Jones. Now, in my whole two years that I've been in the business so far, and years prior to that watching Dominic Tanucci, I never saw the guy take a bump. <laughs> and what he allowed me to do was body slam him in the ring. And then I went for a pin, and I, re and I remember Pat Patterson on the TV saying, Wow, Ron Shaw's really coming along. And, and just by body slamming Dominic Danucci, as I say, you know, I never saw the guy ever take a bump. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure he had a great back. <laughs> yeah. Like like many of us who don't. You know. <laughs> Dominic, I, I, Dominic was a great guy. Matter of fact, you know, I can tell you one story real quick. Was um, I, I can't remember when there were there were there were times where you know. We weren't working with the uh, with Vince at the time, and uh, Dominic gave me a call and a, another another wrestler who lived in Philadelphia, an independent wrestler, and he wanted us to come out to Pittsburgh, drive out to Pittsburgh. And he says we got a four or five day uh, show out in Ohio. You know, we're going to do TV. They're going to set us up in a uh, in a man. It was in a hotel. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. Maybe it was this apartment they had on the side, and. Uh, so I said, you know, I said, why the heck should we drive all the way out to Pittsburgh when we can catch a People's Express flight out of Newark for $17 one way? And that's exactly what we did. We flew for $17 into Pittsburgh. Dominic comes driving up to the hotel. He goes, oh, all right, where's your car? I'll put my stuff in here. I said, Dominic, I said, we flew. And he thought he was going to get out of driving, <laughs> okay, because, you know, the, old, the, old, the young guys had to do the driving back in those days. So Dominic, we packed in Dominic's car. We we got over there into Ohio, and they put us in this apartment. And, and by the way, Dominic is a great cook. Okay, man, he made he made some chicken and spaghetti sauce. I don't know how he I don't know what did they call that, but man, did we eat up? But he is a great cook. So, but but uh, that was one that was one trip that I'll never forget. And Dominic, I'll get it even for you one day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Ron could put a word in for me that you get Dominic to accept my challenge. You gotta know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's great. You know, you mentioned in the story you talked about working with uh, uh, Chris Canyon, who who would eventually, as the fans would know him as King Kong Bundy. Um, how did as as a, a different physique from a lot of the wrestlers at the time. What was that like working with uh, a guy who would, I mean, history kind of remembers as one of the best big men in the business. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Chris wasn't just, you know, I don't, I don't want to use fat as a, I mean, he, he was big. He was big in his chest and big in his middle section, big in his legs, big in his arms. And you, when he first broke into the business, along with his brother, Jack Carson, they were trained by pretty boy, Larry Sharp. Uh, over there in, I think it was Mount Holly, New Jersey, uh, one of those little towns. Um, you know, we would, if we had a spot show somewhere in North Jersey or, or just New York, whatever, uh, we would meet on the New Jersey Turnpike, and Chris drove this little, little car. I don't know what it was, but when he got in it, and then his brother got in it, and then when I got in it, Man, we were laying sparks all the way up to the town, you know. And you know, oh, and we did this many times. And and I would say, look, you know, maybe next time I'll drive. He goes, nah. He goes, I'll drive. Well, man, I'll let it beat the car up a little bit more, you know. But we we get to the town, and next thing you know, is here I am. I'm working against Chris Canyon. I said, well, okay, this should be interesting, you know. Uh, and and this we worked together 
quite a few times, and we always did a finish where he would allow me to body slam him and then pin him for the, uh, you know, for the fall, for the win. And you know what it was like trying to get 380 pounds up? I mean, you know, it kind of helped because, you know, knowing the business and how you're trained and so forth, you know how to take a body slam. But, you know, doing that a couple nights in a row, man, you could, you could drop a nut, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But no, you know, and and Chris turned out to be, you know, a a great, a great name as as Bundy. And it's a shame, shame we lost him, I think, a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, Ron, that was in, in my research. I found it you, in July of 1981. You actually had, and I use com, which, you know, I, I, most of these wrestling sites, they're, you know, they're semi reliable at best, but they, they had you at, uh, with three victories over Chris Canyon in July 1981. And then yeah. uh, in November, you wrestled uh, Mil Mascaras as the executioner. How did that all come about as far as how did you get to become the, the executioner? And uh, I think 
think it was about maybe three weeks uh, before the end of December, before the holidays, uh, Gorilla Monsoon says, hey, you're going to be going to Calgary for, uh, oh, I forget the promoter out there, whoever it was. And uh, he goes, you're going to go out there and uh, uh, you'll be out there for a while. And that that's all I was told, you know. So that was on my mind. And I started asking three guys, Kowalski, number one. I remember talking to Backlund about it and S.D. Jones. And S.D. Jones, he says, look, brother, he goes, go. He says, go. He goes, that'll be a good break for you. He goes, you might not make a lot of money, but just give Vince a call, <laughs> you know. And the other two guys, uh, you know, I wasn't hearing what I wanted to hear. And so, you know, I said to myself, I said, you know what? I'm making great money here. Why the hell would I want to leave? <laughs> so I told Gorilla Monsoon, I said, I said, Gino, I said, I'm not going to go. He goes, Ron, he goes, look, he goes, the money will come later. He goes, just, just, I would advise you to go. And I said no again. Well, I was on a tour of upstate New York, and uh, I think Arnold Scullin was the agent up at those, uh, in those towns. And he says, hey, Ron, he goes, when you get back to the hotel, give Vince a call. Uh, Vince Jr., that is, because, you know, Vince was already pretty much running a lot of everything. Mr. McMahon Sr. was still involved, of course. And I called him up, and he says, well, I hear you don't want to go to Calgary. I said, uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I didn't know what was coming. He goes, well, he goes, make tonight your last night. And I said, oh. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. And uh, so, you know, I worked my last show, came home the next day, and, uh, you know, I, I guess it was a lesson learned because, uh, you know, that last night that I was there, Skull was telling me, he goes, he goes, I don't know why you didn't want to go. He goes, you were going to win a big battle royal out there, work with Andre the Giant, and then you were supposed to go to Japan and Mexico, you know, as the executioner and so forth. I said, well, you know, maybe if they would have told me that a little bit earlier, <laughs> I, I would have, I would have, you know, thought different. So, I mean, that was just, that was just such a great, great feeling to have Vince McMahon Sr., you know, call me down there and, and, and say, hey, you know, you're a natural at this, you know, and, and you know, that, that's a memory. That's a memory for the rest of my life. Mm. <clears throat> you know, you, you talk about uh, big moments, big breaks. Some of the, Benny pulled up some information that we, we kind of, you know, we're putting database together. We wanted to get some match facts right. And uh, one of the, the friends of the show is Karen, um, Karen McDaniel, uh, Wahoo McDaniel's wife. Mm -hmm. And she told a bunch of stories that, that got me thinking. And one of the ones um, she talked a lot about in the, the, the territories running through the eighties and how uh, one of the names that comes up a them is course you know they, they tended to work together and their work overlapped a lot was jay strongbow and you had some interactions with him in 84 and i'm wondering if you have any good stories related to jay strongbow because your careers kind of overlapped a lot and it seemed like in 84 especially you, you talk about in the northeast like the new york area Garden uh, when I had
had the hood on, and um, I don't remember much about before we got into the ring. But one thing about Mill Maskeris, he's one of the most difficult guys to work with, unless you were like maybe another superstar, because he he never wanted to get hurt because he was a movie star back in Mexico too. You know, he did a lot of movies and so forth. And I remember in that match is. Uh, you know, we didn't do any chopping meat, punching, kicking, anything like that. It was just strictly his holds, his way, you know, make me look a little bit good, but not, you know, not too much good. And, and we did our, thring, our thing and got out of there. So, you know, Mill Masters was a, is a legendary name, of course, but he was one of the most difficult guys to work with. I mean, he, he almost wouldn't give you anything. And I worked with him on TV, too, a couple times, you know. But, you know, G, Chief J. Strongbow, uh, you know, great Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I think I think one of the greatest Indians, uh, uh, you know, which was his gimmick. Obviously, we all know that he was Italian, uh, and you know, Jay Strongbow with that uh, dance that he had. I mean, it was so convincing that he, <laughs> that he was an Indian, you know. And I worked with Jay a few times, but um, now I remember the first time that I worked with him. Uh, here's a guy that you don't even know that you're hardly in the ring with because he barely touched you. And, you know, you didn't know if you had to sell anything or not because, you know, I said, Jay, I said, you need to hit me harder or something because I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jay, Jay was a, a great guy. You know, we worked in, um, I think it was Old Westbury, New York. Um, and was that a music amphitheater? Well, I, I can tell you, you know, growing up on Long Island, there was the Westbury Music Fair. So maybe that's where it was. I was thinking maybe that because there's a college, a state university in uh, SUNY at Old Westbury. So in my mind, it was either that or the Westbury Music Fair. Okay. Yeah, it might have been, uh, you know, being so many, so many buildings over the years. But that's, that sounds familiar. Um, but I was working against Jay that night. And... Um, before the match, you know, I'm not going to try and uh, uh, make you guys believe that, that, that you know, we, I mean, we all, we all been educated on professional wrestling. The fans know that. And, and uh, Jay says, hey, you're going to go over on me tonight. And was there any reason for it? No, there wasn't any reason for it. You know, we did our match. He looked great. And uh, I remember the finish being that he would throw me into the turnbuckle. He would come charge. I'd get out of the way, he would fall down, I'd put my feet up on the ropes and pin him for a uh, uh, one, two, three count, and that's how I got my win over Jay Strongbow. And I, I don't know what the reason was for that. Maybe it was just because of it being in the New York area, maybe because of, you know, I've always wrestled at the uh, Nassau Coliseum, uh, and of course, Madison Square Garden, I was always there three times a year, maybe. I, I don't know what the reason was for that, but, you know, it is what it is. Ron, so uh, uh, another two-part question. Uh, Baron Cicluna was the very first heel that I liked. I mean, I was—I grew up as, you know, Bruno's still my hero, but I love Baron Cicluna. So the first part of my question is, you know, you mentioned Vince McMahon with the roll of quarters. Did he lend those to Baron Cicluna when he went to wrestle? Because Baron always seemed to have the roll of quarters in his, in his trunks. And the, the second question is, um, what, you know, again, doing my research, I didn't see much activity for you in 1982 and 1983. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, that Vince Jr. said something about being your, um, you know, your last night. 
But I, I do remember in a previous interview, you said something about working in a, uh, is it IWC? Uh, something that Bruno owned that, that was, you know, the, the, a territory that was pretty much in the same area in that, in, in that time.
<clears throat> you know, uh, that period of time, your second run with the company, Benny, you did a lot of research on this and we've talked about it before because of, of, uh, events that have come up and, and it's obviously it's popped up on lists before it was not in November of 1985. You had what is arguably one of the greatest upsets in WWF history when you defeated David San Martino in a very quick submission. Uh, right. Benny, you had some thoughts on this. Go for it. I, you know, I read Javier's story, and I, I actually remember watching that match, you know, in 1985. And it was definitely a holy crap moment when, like, you know, at first you start her off really strong, you know, a couple of body slams. And then, like, you know, a couple of more body slams. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, you're waiting for David to make his comeback. And you know, then I think I timed it. It was right at, like, two minutes or two minutes and one second the entire match. You, you made him submit. And... I, you know, I, I just watched it again a couple of days ago, and it seems like Gorilla Monsoon was actually dumbfounded because he really tried to sell the fact that, well, David couldn't have quit, but, like, I don't think I ever saw such an animated submission in, you know, all my years of watching wrestling. Um, it, and it looked like you were upset at the end of the match with David. Now, I've listened to some shoot interviews with David, and he said that, you know, you you had been, you know, I guess he had he, he had advised you what he was doing before the match uh, started. I mean, and I thought you did a great job uh, on the match. And um, But I was just wondering how that all came about and were you really upset at the end of the match? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I heard that interview myself. And I've also read like maybe 10 years ago of an interview that David had in, in some type of particular uh, wrestling newspaper. And, uh, you know, he, he told... Um, the writers that, you know, he's beaten me many, many times before that match, and I was basically a jobber and, and this and that, and I said, well, you know, I didn't appreciate that, number one, just calling me a jobber, and, and number two is that, well, I never really even met him before that. I mean, wrestled against him. You know, I did know of him in 1982 and 83 because that's when he came to do the international wrestling tapings, but we never worked against each other because... Um, very early on when we when we started doing the tapings in Allentown, me and Hans Schroeder um, were a ta heel tag team, and uh, Schroeder ended up turning on me, and uh, you know I bled in that match pretty much, and I turned into a babyface. So I, I never I never worked with David before that, except the very first time that he came to the WWF, and at the time we switched the tapings into Poughkeepsie, New York. And uh, so it was, was me and David, and it was a hold-for-hold hold type of match. It was no, no kicking, punching. And uh, after he got the best of me on those uh, counter holds, uh, I picked him up. I slammed him real hard into the mat. He picked me up over his head into a gorilla press and slammed me down and pinned me. Um, now, you know, I, I've said this before. I said, you know, I respect David San Martino. He was a great wrestler technician you know counter holds and, and, and knowledge of holds and man he was strong there's no question about that but i think his mind was a little fuzzy um that particular night when i came in there i i, I can't remember if i knew i was wrestling him or not because you know we would get our our, our bookings at tv and and uh you know, knowing that I, I always like to know who I was wrestling, you know, in upcoming upcoming shows. 
So I was at the Spectrum, and uh, Hogan had just got done uh, wrestling and uh, pretty much comes to me in the dressing room and uh, says, hey, uh, you know, you're wrestling David tonight, you know, and uh, I, I can't remember exactly word for word uh, and said, yeah, something, something's going to happen, you know, uh, something's going to happen. And then Bobby Heenan comes in and it's kind of like telling me the same type of thing and nobody's joking around. I mean, I, I can understand, you know, that there's, there's a little horse play going on and so forth. And it sounded like to me that I was going to be made an example of. Uh, you know, whether it's going to be a, a, a shoot or a guy, a guy's just going to come out and, and uh, kick the shit out of me or something. I, I don't know, you know. So uh, that match, and, and you know, this, I, have to, I have finally had talked about this for the last six years since I've gotten my website out there. And uh, But one thing I can say is that, you know, you have to look at those first two punches behind the neck, behind his head. And, you know, after, what was it, seven, eight, nine hard body slams and mm -hmm. so forth, um, you know, his back, his back was legitimately, I, I don't know if I broke something, I mean, a rib or what, but, but uh, you know, I could, I could hear the breathing in his, in his body it was not normal, okay, and uh, was I pissed off at the end? I don't know, I, all I did was I spit on him at the end, and I walked out of the ring. Now, you know, he, from what I understand, he just packed up. He was, I think his wife was there that night, and they got in their car, and they drove back to Atlanta. And he never even came in to shower. Um, that's what I was told. And, uh, you know, David, uh, David was saying, you know, several things in that interview. But one thing he did say, he says, well, he did hurt my back, and he was the better man that night. So, you know, I've always let this – uh, go to a point of let the wrestling fan themselves decide what really happened that night. They've heard right. my story, and now here's my story. But you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna exactly be uh, 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 precise. You know, in, in what happened. I think I think it still can be one of the biggest mysteries of what happened that night. And you know, there's two there's two views out there, and you know, he gave his and I gave mine. You know, <laughs> uh, and did I ever get a push out of it? No, I never got a push out of it. Well, I know if you were to look up the video, uh, the the match has been dubbed the Phantom Submission. Right. I, I just I, I think it's 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 interesting to hear the narrative. You know, they always say there's there's two sides to every story, but how it, the way I mean, it, it's it's almost perplexing why you know I, you don't want to put yourself in somebody else's mind but like what he would gain manipulating the narrative like that but i mean you know these well, things happen here's, here's here's what i would say why do you want to lose one of the uh, leave one of the biggest companies where you're going to be making the best money that you can make in and, and and with all the connections that that uh, the big mans have and so forth you know what was there anything to gain from that well nothing you know, as far as I was concerned, you know, let me let me tell you how I describe this business. It's like any other job. When you get hired, it's up to you. You're hired for a certain position, and it's up to you to prove to your bosses that you can do this job and you look for advancement. Okay? And I got that, you know. But my, the bottom line was is always having a paycheck, you know. 
Did I ever get pissed off at anything along the way? Nah, maybe a few times. But, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be a big superstar. <laughs> you know, it, it was all about the paycheck. That's all it came down to. Right. What, what do you think, Benny? Uh, honestly, you know, I, I think that <clears throat> I think David thought because his name was Sam Martino that he could pretty much do what he wanted. And I mean, he from the interviews, he was clearly frustrated at his lack of push. But like Ron just said, I mean, you know, he, he was pretty much his name is Sam Martino. He's always going to get a check from the WWF. So I, I maybe he thought that. Uh, you know, he, he could use that name, San Martino, elsewhere. But I think he found out that, uh, you know, I mean, Bruno's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. And he always will be. But, you know, outside of the territory, you know, going I think he went back down to Atlanta. You know, the San Martino name didn't carry the same clout as it did in, you know, New York or Philadelphia. And I, I, I really think, you know, like Vince McMahon would say, I hate to say this, but David screwed David. So I do have a follow up question that, you know, as far as the push thing, though, Ron. You know, uh, the next month in Toronto, you had a nice victory over Rene Goulet, who was one, you know, one of the uh, previously a, a tag team champion with with, uh, I believe, Carl Gotch. And um, in that match, I, I at least my perception was that you wrestled as a babyface. And I thought that uh, Gorilla and Jesse Ventura did a really good job uh, putting you over. And they right. did mention, you know, they, 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 I don't remember the exact words, but, you know, something that. Uh, had a couple of really good wins over the past couple of months. So, right. you know, and, and you went over clean in that match. Uh, in my mind, you know, watching that, I'm thinking like, man, this guy's really, they're going to start really giving him a good push. But that that didn't happen. So, you know, I, I think they were, in, in my mind as a fan, they were trying to leverage the win. You know, obviously they didn't expect the win over David to happen. But once it happened, they were going to use it to their advantage. They put you over Renee. But it yeah. kind of fizzled out after that. So I was kind of wondering, like, what what happened? month after me beating David San Martino. Right. I, I, and, and, and prior to that, I also have, and, and I've been trying to find um, the video from the Pittsburgh Civic Arena and a couple spot shows in Pennsylvania. I also had an upset over Iron Mike Sharp. Okay. Um, so I, I added that, add that to my list, too. So, you know, they're not going to exactly say the names of the individuals because I guess it's just going to sound worse to the worldwide listening audience because, you know, that this this was in Toronto's Maple Leaf Garden that I beat Rene Goulet. And uh, I can remember my parents, I think they were in Florida saying that they saw that on cable, you know, that I beat that I beat Rene Goulet. Well they didn't know who he was at the time, but you know, anytime Ron Shaw gets a gets a victory, mom and dad are happy. You know what I mean? But that's you know, they they didn't want to mention, I guess you know, names and so forth. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they really did put me over. And, and I, I don't know what was down the road um, as far as that was concerned. I, I can tell you another time. I know when we started going uh, nationwide, uh, I think the first time they went into the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis, I was on that trip. And uh, I was told that, uh, hey, um, we're going to be doing something with you, an angle with Jimmy Snuka. Now, Jimmy Snuka was supposed to work with somebody that, that I was going to run into the ring or something. But unfortunately, uh, Jimmy Snuka never showed up that night. And he had mm. a little bit of a history of not making the shows. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, there were opportunities there for me, I guess. But, you know, you, you really you really don't know 
what they have in mind, you know, and that's just the way it is. It that's seems crazy. like it, it's one of these things where, you know, the, the, now uh, Vince Sr., it's, my understanding was when, when he said something, uh, like uh, as an example with Jimmy Valiant, Jimmy Valiant started with the WWF, I believe it was April 1st, 1970. Jimmy wanted to wrestle as a heel, and Vince said, well, not right now. you got to get over as a baby face. But six months from now, I'm going to turn you heel. And it was like almost, I think it was six months to the day when uh, Jimmy and, and Chief were wrestling for the uh, the tag team titles against uh, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham is when is when uh, Jimmy turned on Jay. And, you know, the rest is history. Jimmy's career took off after that. But it seemed like, you know, Vince Sr. had everything planned to the minute where, you know, Vince Jr. was a little bit more, uh, you know, spontaneous, maybe. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I, I think it is, because I think it was at a time where uh, Vince Vince Jr. was pretty much running things and so forth, because from what I understand, his father wasn't in the best of health. So maybe that's why he was down in Florida. And um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, they could have changed their minds on something. I, of course, I'll never know. And uh, uh, it's just, that's just the way it works. Just the way it works in professional wrestling. You know, you never know what's coming. You never know right. what's coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to Jimmy, you know, he had, uh, he had, uh, I guess he had just moved from the Indiana, I believe, to Oklahoma uh, to work for Leroy McGurk. And then, like two months later, he got a call from Fritz von Erich. So now he's moved his family twice, uh, you know, in, in like three months. And then, like a couple of months after that, was when he got his call to New York to, uh, you know, to, to go work for Vince McMahon Sr. Yeah. You know, people, I think some of the younger fans now think wrestling is all, and, and maybe now it is, you know, wrestlers have guaranteed contracts and, and uh, you know, they're flying usually, flying, not driving between, you know, between shots. But back then, you had to, you know, you had to be a salesman. Um, you had to sell tickets. That was the name of the game. If you didn't sell tickets, if you didn't draw a house, you weren't getting paid. And you had yep. a, a, it sounds like pretty much you had to be ready at any time to pull up stakes. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, it's very accurate. You know, of course, you know, nobody was paying to come see Ron Shaw. But, you know, you had to count on, you know, when they were doing three, sometimes four shows a night. Um, you know, there was an A, B, C, and it maybe an occasional D uh, show. And, um, you know, there was always a couple of the big house shows, and then those bottom two are usually the spot shows. But I, I enjoyed going to the spot shows. They were, I mean, they were packed all the time, and the pay was, the pay was pretty damn good, you know. And, and uh, but, you know, you had to rely on what was the main event to, to sell out that house. So, you know, when it was a sellout, we got, we got what we were supposed to get pretty much. And, and, you know, I've been at a couple dog shows in my, my time too, from the WWF. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, if there might've been about 200 people at a show, he said, Oh boy, you know, not going to be a good pay, especially if you maybe traveled uh, 150 miles for that show. And you had to come back home the same night because, you know, Many a time you would like to go do a show, and then boom, you go to the next show and the next show. Sometimes I do two, three shows, then I have to come home, and then they got me going back out again two days later. I said, well, "Why couldn't I have been out there the next, uh, the, the following day? Or I would never have to come home and so forth." Right. But you had right. To, yeah, yeah, you had to uh, rely on the big names all the time for, for a good sellout. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, one of the first interviews I ever conducted when I got into 
the broadcasting was with Magnum TA. And he used to tell the story that he would go on these road trips. You know, he said the same thing. Dominic Danucci said it, you know, you don't sell, you don't eat, but he would go on these road trips and spend more money traveling to and from the show than he'd make at the show sometimes. Well, you know, you, you have to remember back in those days, you know, pro wrestling was evolving every, I don't know, five, 10 years and so forth. And, uh, I'll be honest with you. Back in my day, maybe in 84 and 86, which were my really busiest years, uh, especially 1986, because when George Scott came in as a booker, he brought a couple of his guys up, and that would generally, you know, cut back on your bookings. So, uh, but I was always friends with uh, the Crockett promotion, and uh, they would use me in Baltimore and Virginia here and there. I'd go home every night, of course, and then I was also working for uh, uh, Dino Bravo up in Montreal. And uh, at the time, uh, Rick Martell, when he left the WWF, you know, he was the booker. And, uh, you know, he wanted me to stay up there. And I said, I said, you know, Rick, I said, I can't. You know, I said, you know, I still got shows with Vince. I said, I'm doing some shows with Crockett. And I said, I got these independent shows, which is like about maybe already 15 bookings that I can tell you right now, you know. And 86 was, was my busiest year as, as 84 was. And, uh, uh, you know. You know, they say, I'm trying to make as much money as I can because you never know when the gravy train is over with. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, I've made money where I don't even think uh, back in the day uh, Buddy Rogers made. I mean, you know, I think I made more than Buddy Rogers back in the day because, you know, wrestling evolved. You know, it got bigger right. and bigger. And, and, you know, uh, you know, but those, those guys, they, yeah, they didn't make that much money. I, you know, maybe back in that time, maybe it was a lot of money. You know, when I look back to the to the 80s on what I made, I said, well, that was pretty damn good money. But then when you look at the contracts the guys have today, it's ridiculous. Yeah. story. You hear stories of uh, like the Good Brothers, for example, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar downside guarantees just just to stay home and do nothing because I don't want you signing with another promotion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's 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 what it's come to. You know? say, and, 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 you know, and I think it's. It's all for the worse. I, I, it's just uh, uh, I don't see. I know. I know. I did listen to that one show you had about the uh, you know possibility of you know the, the uh, WWF getting sold and so forth and and uh, you know letting the talent go and so forth. I, I can understand that. It's this is multi million dollar contracts, and who would have ever thought that you know twenty five years ago? Yeah, that's very true. You know, Benny. Here we are again. We come to the end of a of another interview and what we could probably talk for another couple of hours and not even scratch the surface of half the road stories. Hey guys, can I say one thing before? A before absolutely. I, I just want to say, you know, I lived out a dream. Okay. Of being a professional wrestler. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that happened to me is a couple of years ago, they put me in the history books of professional wrestling, the WWE 50, and the WWE Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment, you know, for my win over San Martino and, and being in the uh, uh, brawl to end it all. The very first match on MTV was me against uh, Sika and almost winning that battle royal that night, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm in there. I got a lot of this stuff on my website. If anybody doesn't know about my website, it's been out now six years. It's uh, Big Ron Shaw wwf.com and I got a little bit of everything on there and it's not all about me it's, it's a tribute to a lot of the guys that I wrestled back in the days it's about them also 
and there's a lot of personal pictures of myself on everything I do. Uh, I put on uh, my website. You know, if I go out to a concert or something like that, there's a whole bunch of stuff there, and I get looks from all over the world. I got a guest book. I invite anybody to to uh, uh, put their name in there. I get back to them and. And uh, for some reason, my actual Gmail address has gotten out on the Internet, so I get a lot of emails every week. So, you know, I'm very proud of what I did, and, uh, you know, I would do it all over again the same way. That's awesome to hear. And for the Dan and Benny fans uh, out there, I recommend the website as well. You have... Uh, a plethora of pictures and and stories and posts you have one section writes almost like a like a blog um updating you know their various events and thoughts it's it's a it's a lot of good stuff out there uh any ron shaw fans or somebody that just wants to take a trip down wrestling memory lane but um as we wrap up here benny any any final thoughts you know i i do want to ask ron a quick question um and it's you know it has to do with what you said on your website, giving you know paying tribute to other other wrestle other wrestlers. And we've had Davey O'Hannon on this show, and I've actually chatted with Johnny Rods, and you know we've had Dominic. And the one thing that that I get from speaking to any one of you and all of you is that it truly was a brotherhood back then. I mean, you spent you probably spent more time in the car with some of these guys than you did with your family. And I I, I want you to comment on that because. I, I I don't think uh, Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, whatever he's called now, I, I don't think he's going to be able to tell those same stories 35 years from now because you know they, they're all you know they're all solo now. They you know they come and go. They you know they fly from town to town. There's really I don't really see that same kind of brotherhood anymore. So I was wondering if you could uh, uh, wondering if you could comment on that. Well, I, I I think one of the greatest things for me that especially when I was new and finally getting bookings was when I was hooking up with a lot of these guys and, and, and some of them big names is just sitting back and, and listening to the great stories, you know, uh, I mean, educational and, and, and I just would just shut up and listen. And, and that was such a great, such a great thing. There's many, many times, you know, when we did shows down in Wildwood, New Jersey, all summer <laughs> long, uh, Gorilla Monsoon was the, uh, the agent he said, hey, Ron, you know, uh, Bruno's flying in from Pittsburgh. Can you pick him up at the airport? I said, you bet, Gino, or, or Bulldog Brower. You bet, Gino, or, or somebody else. Because, man, I always heard two hours of great stories. And, you know, these these are the guys, as I said, like when I was a little kid, man, I had Mike share of wrestling magazines and watching them on TV, and here I am riding in the car with these guys. And, uh, man, that felt good. really did. Well, that's awesome. Uh, another another great I, I can't express enough. I appreciate you being here. I know uh, anybody that's studied wrestling history like I have or been a fan for the the many, many years that Benny has. No offense, Benny. But uh, your your name, like you said, your name comes up in the echelons. I mean, you, you, you were there during one of the biggest boom periods in wrestling history. You have what is arguably the biggest upset of m- most people that are alive today remember seeing. And it's just it's it's it was awesome to talk to you. Uh, we'd love to try and have you back down the road because I feel like there's still so much more to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it absolutely is. And you know, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm glad we got it in, especially with the weather that's here right now. And uh, uh, actually, it just stopped pouring rain right now, so maybe that's the end of it. Who knows? That would be great. Awesome. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, hopefully the the storm, I know you guys are both in Florida, so hopefully the the storm treats you well. And uh, we wish you the best. One more time, can you, uh, your website was uh, ronshawwwf.com? Um, big Ron Shaw. Big Ron Shaw, excuse me. www.wwf.com. There you go. And like I said, for anybody, uh, for anybody that cares about wrestling, uh, we, again, we appreciate you being here. Uh, true legend in the history books, as they, as they would say. Um, so again, thank, thank you so much for being here. Benny, any, any final parting words? No, another great guest. Uh, it, you know, we're, we're talking old school wrestling. It doesn't get any better than that. And, you know, our, our good friend, Nikita Brezhnikov, the, the name of his book is when it was real. And I think that's just, that really sums it up when we, you know, I tell everybody when I sat in front of the TV set on Saturday morning, you know, there could have been a mushroom cloud outside and I'm not going outside to check it out until the next commercial. That that's how that's how emotionally invested I was in professional wrestling. Hey, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. And uh we, we uh hopefully like I said the the storm treats you well and um we we'll have, again we'll definitely have to have you on for a future episode. I'd love to be on. Just let me know. Absolutely, sir. Thank you so much. You have yourself a great night. Be, be safe, safe there, Ron. And be safe. Thank you. Yes. So what do you think, Benny? Another great guest. I mean, I did good stories. He had a solid career. Um, I didn't know about the, you know, you needed to go to, uh, where was he said? It was Calgary. He, and the, the funny thing was, he did wind up going to Calgary for a few matches. I think he actually, well, we didn't get to ask him that. I think he actually broke his leg in 1984 wrestling in Calgary. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, here's Vince Sr. Hey, I want you to go to Calgary. And I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And and the next day, well, you're not going to Calgary. You're fired. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's rough, but. That was the business, you know, at the time. And, and I who think knows? It really I mean, portrays the the difference between uh, junior and senior. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, that's one thing. Is is senior was was they, he had the reputation of being loyal to his people, and Vince was loyal to money, and and how to grow to business. But yeah, it, it's it's crazy too. We've had I mean, we've had a couple of what if episodes, and to think like if he had gone to Calgary, I mean, he, like they said, he would have worked with Andre would have won, won, uh, won that battle Royal, gotten a big push. You know, he would have come back to the WWF, a much bigger name right. at the hype of at the, at the, the height, excuse me, the height of mid, mid to late eighties WWF. I mean, I don't, who knows what, you know, where, where he'd be maybe in the, in a, in a Tito Santana or a Jake Roberts spot where he's not, you know, he's one of the names you see week in week out, Yes. Big right. Big maybe, teams, you know, maybe, matches. uh, you know, upper, you know, maybe main event at WrestleMania or close. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, you work with Andre, you dig your teeth in Calgary and then you come back a made man from the McMahons. He's your upper mid card. At least I want to find somebody, one of our guests who can do a Stu Hart imitation. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we got, uh, Got some some uh, plans in here in the future, Benny. I know we've got uh, next week. We're going to be looking at the Money in the Bank pay per view, and that's uh, that's always fun. I know last year neither of us 
we, 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 neither of us did well in our predictions, uh, uh, from what we were talking about uh, with the, uh, <laughs> looking forward, I should say. And, and we've been pretty good so far with the pay-per-views, um, uh, build up to SummerSlam. And there's a lot of big rumors coming out there. I know you mentioned ratings have not been very good, so maybe they're, they're going to catch up there. Yeah, I think, I mean, they're kind of in a catch-22. Like, you, you know, typically, you're not going to give that much away at, because the, the, the uh, you know, the SummerSlam is going to be in Las Vegas in August, correct? Correct, and, yes. And that'll, yeah, be, the, so I'm, that'll I'm, be the big, the big right. return uh, to the large crowds. So, so I don't really see them doing a whole lot now. But then again, like, you, you almost kind of have to because you got to pick the ratings up. Yeah, I mean, and you can't, you know, it'd be, it's, it's hard to have, you know, multiple pay-per-views in a row where nothing, I don't want to say nothing happens, but no, no titles, no change of plans, nothing like that, but we'll see. And then we'll, we'll have it, uh, have our fun. I'm sure, um, the brigade will have a lot to say on the forums are always active come pay-per-view time. And then we'll do our reviews and moving forward, we've got a couple of names coming up and, and we'll be having fun with it. Hopefully, uh, as it gets a little later in the evening, the storm's heading your way. Hopefully, you'll uh, you'll fare as well as Ron did. Well, once I uh, hang up from here, I'm going to go on YouTube and uh, take some Australian crawl lessons. <laughs> always, always good. Oh, um, any any uh, final thoughts for the night, Benny? No, I, I you know again, I enjoyed myself. I'm a little bit anxious because of the weather. I mean, so far so good. I think it's uh, going to hit a little bit later in the evening. Probably when I'm asleep, I'm, I'm sure it's going to wake me up. But um, I really like having Ron on the show. He had some great stories. And, uh, you know, it, it, you can never get enough of old, old school wrestling. is like ice cream. Can never get enough. Exactly. So uh, for the BS Express himself, the soon-to-be uh, master of swimming lessons, Uh, I'm Dan Spastiano. Have a good night, everyone. And as always, happy wrestling. Night, folks.